0: Hi, I'm Marnie Mimi Hood.
1: And I'm Russ Levins. We're the hosts of Contributors, a podcast where we explore how Canadian employers are leading change, innovating industries, and investing in our country's well-being and prosperity.
0: These organizations are prospering today by prioritizing more than just the bottom line. And so are we. As leaders at the CAT Pension Plan, we are contributors to one of Canada's fastest-growing defined benefit pension plans.
1: We believe in contributing today for a long-term benefit, and we want to showcase other employers who are securing a better future for Canadians. Follow along.
0: Although Canada's private capital funding ecosystem has made strides in recent years, there are still significant gaps that need to be addressed.
1: That's why firms like Mavericks have made it their mandate to focus on building an innovative future in Canada, fueled by technology-enabled growth and disruption.
0: Today on Contributors, we're sitting down with the founder and managing partner of Mavericks, John Ruffalo.
1: On this episode, we'll discuss how Mavericks is innovating to meet the needs of key stakeholders today and how those strategic decisions will reap further benefits tomorrow.
0: We'll also get John's take on the current gaps in Canada's private capital funding ecosystem and how we can address them to create a stronger economy going forward.
1: John, welcome to the show.
0: All right, John, so happy to have you here.
1: Thank you very much. We've been given some notes about you, John, and some of the notes are that your son is named after your favorite wine from California or yes. your favorite vineyard. And your, your your daughter is named Rome. It's like your favorite city. So yes. I, I should admit to you that you're a man after my own heart. Uh, we just got a cat, and our cat's name is West, after my favorite composer. You may know his name as Kanye West. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So my my choice is maybe less, slightly more controversial than yours, but along the same. Yeah, lines. yeah, yeah. Might
2: be a little bit more. <laughs> well, you. you- I thought you were going to say there are other cats named Kim or something like
0: that. <laughs> yeah. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining uh-huh. us. Yeah, thank you. John, let's, uh, let's just jump right in. You've had a really spectacular career from CPA right through to a uh, private equity fund founder. What have been some of the big career highlights for you so far?
2: Well, I, I've discovered that after eight years, I do a complete career pivot. So I'm not sure if that's a positive or, or a negative, but in many respects, I've had one career in that. And, and I would say the career choice, although I started, uh, as you indicated, a CPA with Arthur Anderson back in 1988, it was 1992. In the depths of a horrible recession, where I was bored out of my mind, and I had asked the partners of the firm, uh, could I start a business inside, you know, a large sort of bureaucratic organization? And they asked, "Well, what business would it be?" And I just said, at the time, we called it the high technology business, and I chose it for a very specific reason—not only for my particular interest, but rather. I was 25 at the time, and there was no way that I was going to build relationships with C-level folks, being a 25-year-old, but the tech founders were closer to my age, so I was doing it for very pragmatic reasons. The funny response that I got was a little bit of a chuckle, saying, really? Go ahead and go knock yourself out. And It was three very, very trying years until 1995 hit. And, and, and that was really the birth of the consumer internet. But the interesting part is that 1992 till today, so 30 years, is really the same objective. I just wore different hats all the way through.
1: So, John, I think obviously you're here because you're the founder of Mavericks Private Equity. For our listeners, what is a private equity firm? In the simplest possible terms,
2: what do you do? I identify great entrepreneurs that are looking for a partner to grow their business so that they could, you know, create more wealth for not only themselves, but for their employees, shareholders, and hopefully the country at large. And what I do is I buy a piece of their company at a predetermined price and The piece of the company that I buy, the money either goes into the company or I might buy it directly from the particular entrepreneur. And my job and my team's job is to help that company grow even faster than they would have had they not taken the money. And then at some point in the future, I get paid back either through dividends selling it to a bigger company and, and taking the profit, or ideally them going public. And then I eventually sell the shares that I own through the public offering or hold on to them as long as I like.
0: What's the difference between venture capital and private equity?
2: It's all private equity. And there is three subsegments. Of private equity. There is buyout private equity, where you take a control position, uh, which is what most people will use colloquially as just private equity, but it is specifically buyout. Then there is growth private equity, which is the firm that I built. And then there is venture capital. And it's really focused, the differences are focused in on the different stages. Of the life cycle of a business, although I must admit today, given the uh, massive amounts of capital available, all three are starting to get a little bit murky and blended. But traditionally, those are three separate sub asset classes.
1: We had the opportunity to meet with uh, Young Woo from Mars Dis- Discovery District, and from what I'm hearing you're the man that everybody at Mars wants to meet with. So they're, they're putting together their business plans. They're figuring out what they need to do and what they really want at the end of the, that sort of uh, rainbow is the opportunity to meet with you. Is that fair?
2: Well, I think that young is overstating it because he's still mad at me because I'm responsible for him uh, leading Mars. And he keeps on blaming me for that. But in some sense, yes, it's true from the perspective of when a company is looking to grow and hopefully ideally to be successful, you know, the next Shopify, they really need three things, access to capital, access to talent and access to customers and markets. That's simple. And I represent one of those three lever points, which is the access to capital. And prior to me building Omer's Ventures back in 2011, the landscape in Canada to access risk capital was extremely small. Some would say non-existent. And based on my career before that, I had the pleasure of advising a lot of the greatest venture capital firms in the world largely based in silicon valley and when you start to see their approach to placing their bets and and taking not dumb risk but taking the smart risk i, I just learned a lot on what was working and what was not working so really applied those principles to canada and so what would happen is instead of going to foreign sources of capital, they would they would have come to me when I was at Omer's Ventures. And the only difference now at Mavericks is the companies are at a much more mature stage. However, it really represents at a very large stage, the only source of Canadian domestic capital. If you're trying to build a company, say from million in revenue to the billion-dollar-plus. That's where I play. When Jung and I were working very closely 10 years ago, the problem was getting companies from zero to $10 million. So looking back over 10 years, it's quite remarkable, the number of companies that are getting now to the $100 million-plus range.
0: You mentioned a moment ago that Mavericks is the sole growth private equity firm in Canada, and it seems to have a real niche market in terms of the kinds of disruptive technologies and innovations um, that it's really geared towards. Can you give us a sense of, uh, of the deal pipeline? How are things looking in Canada? What's that current ecosystem for funding of these kinds of technologies?
2: Yeah, so you're really striking at the heart of the investment thesis. So I'll I'll just try to summarize what I started to observe. And it started around 2015. So for the first number of years, when I had built Omer's Ventures, we were investing exclusively in technology companies. And when I say technology, I'm very I'm using a classical definition of software companies, hardware companies, semiconductor, that that specific segment. And it was quite amazing and the technological innovation was was moving at a unbelievable clip. But a classic technology company, the purpose is for it to build tools that all of the other industries in Canada would be able to utilize in order to increase their productivity. And so what I started to notice around 2015, but was it became very clear to me around 2016, that the application of technology by those other industries really crossed the chasm. And it started off with the Canadian banks and it started expanding into real estate, healthcare, et cetera. And what I started to realize that while I absolutely love and continue to love Investing in the technology sector per se, which represents give or take 10% of Canada's GDP. I would rather focus it on the other 90% that I was excluding. And now it's becoming more indistinguishable what a technology company really is. And we started assigning names to them: fintech, prop tech, health tech, whatever tech. It's nonsense. Because Every company will need to be a technology company in some respect. And if you're not, you will go bankrupt. It's simple as that. So our job at Mavericks is really looking at that other 90% of the GDP in particular. And as the application of technologies you know, and I'll give you a few example of technologies, artificial intelligence, as an example, the use of the blockchain, you know, the list, you know, ideally at some point in time, quantum computing, all of these technologies are going to be used. And the issue from an investor point of perspective is, you better understand how those technologies work and you better understand the industry in which you're seeking to disrupt. And it's the combination of those that's really the secret sauce.
0: John noted that there are three things a company needs to see success.
2: That's right.
1: The first is access to capital. The second is access to talent. And the third is access to customers and markets.
0: After building Omer's ventures from the ground up from 2011 to 2018, John has an extensive knowledge base of the Canadian landscape of risk capital.
1: The growth he's seen in the area over the past decade has been, in John's words, remarkable. And the number of companies reaching the $100 million range has grown exponentially.
0: John founded Mavericks Private Equity in 2019 in an effort to keep Canadian opportunities on home soil and today it's the sole growth private equity firm in the country.
1: He says the secret sauce to success as an investor is understanding the technology landscape and how new developments will fit into the industry you're seeking to disrupt.
0: He goes on to describe why corporate ethics are such an important piece of the puzzle for him and Mavericks, and how the firm is contributing to a stronger, more prosperous country overall.
1: So, John, you and I are connected on uh, LinkedIn, and uh, we've shared kind of a quick conversation or two over that platform. And one of the things I've noticed, you're you're sort of a LinkedIn super user, which I got to give you credit for. And uh, (laughs) one of the things I've noticed is there's a common thread in a lot of what you post and comment on, which is corporate ethics. That's something that is really, uh, really important to you. And it comes through in, in a lot of what you have to, to, to say and a lot of the opinions you share. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of corporate ethics in terms of growing a business.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, you know, and that's, You know, that's something that while, you know, we're not an ESG fund per se, and frankly, a lot of folks that are touting themselves as ESG, I I find is absolute nonsense, but really being authentic and holding to your values. And this is one thing that I really share with Kat. And one of the things that attracted me, you know, particularly to the individual Adam Buzanis, where you know, we share ethical values, not going to make an investment just purely to make money and screw somebody. And ultimately it hurts your brand. And this is the thing that I'm trying to teach folks. In fact, you're going to see, we haven't put it up yet, but our ESG investing principles, we're not an ESG fund, but just to be very, very clear, if you are an entrepreneur and you're doing things in your business that perhaps, you know, scale a little bit too close to the line or cross the line, but you're doing really well, we will not be your investor. Period. End of story. And there's plenty of other folks that might want to do that. But at the end of the day, not only does it hurt your brand, ultimately, when I go home and share with my wife or my kids, or my parents, what I am investing in. And if it's counter to the ethics that I grew up in, like what is the point of doing that? And where I think people miss out is they think that ESG or ethical principles are separate from making money when in fact the two are completely linked. That's
1: a great segue, John, to um, what I wanted to
2: ask you about next, which was
1: As you know, our show is called Contributors, and it's really about Canadian organizations that are contributing to making Canada better, stronger, more prosperous. What do you see as the role of Mavericks in that?
2: The role of Mavericks is to really support the growth of Canadian-based Indigenous companies from an innovation perspective. And by virtue of doing this, I believe that we will create the wealth for the next generation. It will be the employment for our kids and our grandkids. And you know, we, Canada needs to make this transition from a post-World War II industrialized economy to a knowledge-based economy. And it's very complicated. And everything that we almost do, use the old rules. Give you an example. When Canada says, oh, you know, we're, we're, our GDP is not growing at the rate that we need to it. So let's go and attract foreign direct investment so they can build plants and then you'll have an economic supply chain and multiplier effect well guess what doesn't work that way not in a knowledge based economy there is no economic multiplier calculated through the supply chain like it used to be before in fact it's a negative issue to our economy in that because the value is in intangibles and largely through the brain power of individuals Using our great talent in this country to create intangible value for a foreign-based companies is complete and utter nonsense. And yet, our public policy is predicated on those very principles. And it was so frustrating that back in 2016, Jim Balsillie, the founder of uh, BlackBerry and I, created what's called the Council of Canadian Innovators and we are proudly Canadian. We are Canadian first, and all of the policies that we're recommending to the, uh, the various levels of governments are wired for our Canadian companies to win. And we will give you the money, and our average investment is about $100 million, and now go for it. And when, by the way, we will help you with standard setting, with government policy, etc., so that there is nothing blocking you. And the last thing I was just saying on this point is when somebody says that Canadians don't have the same risk appetite or they don't have the fire in the belly, you know, I just want to smack them up the side of the head. The Canadians have have it all, and frankly, Look at all the amazing success stories of Canadians in other, you know, countries or in Silicon Valley. It's not it's not a cultural thing or an inherent thing. It's just that we need to remember that we can compete against anyone in the world and we will win. And once we start collectively doing that, just watch us go.
0: That's absolutely true, John. Canadians, we definitely have a reputation for being too polite. And I have no doubt that you've been known to throw an elbow here and there <laughs> when, um, you know, when you're advocating on behalf of your, your stakeholders. And so I'm wondering if you can give us some examples of some of the innovative approaches you've taken around those, those three levers you were talking about earlier
2: so let's just use talent right so the world is in a war for talent and the quality of our talent in the innovation space uh, matches anyone in the world there is zero question and i think the world has caught up to that do we have enough of it probably not and so and, and in fact a lot of the foreign based companies particularly american based really come over here whether to attract AI talent, quantum talent, blockchain talent, but there's plenty of it. So where do we continue to get this talent as we're continually run short? Well, let's look at our immigration policies. This is one area that Canada is one of the best in the world and and our CCI organization was heavily involved In the development of immigration policy, particularly for what was called the temporary foreign worker visas. And it was us who uh, helped decrease the process from nine months to, to several weeks. And what's been very interesting is Canada, despite what we say, is hot around the world in terms of an attraction for immigrants, we are a great place where they feel comfortable, and they landed uh, in Canada, particularly Toronto, Montreal, and and Vancouver. And so, and what they realized is, oh well, I could still live in Canada, and I could do my little jaunts over in Silicon Valley or New York quite easily. So I don't need to li- live there. And all of a sudden, we get this incredible addition. Of brain power that we never had. Well, let's take this a step further. What should our universities be? Our sh- our, our, we should weaponize our universities as the import hubs of the world. And some of them have already started this. So, as an example, you know, you get your your, your great innovative universities, Waterloo, University of Toronto, et cetera. And you set up their branch operations in India, Southeast Asia, wherever the mass of individuals are coming. And I would literally be camping within the schools or the technology schools that they're at with a big welcome sign with a fast tracking to immigration to this country. There's so many amazing things that we could do that are in your face.
1: Absolutely. One, one of the things that I really appreciate about you, John, is you, you often comment on politics online, but I have no idea how you're voting. No idea. You're, you're very you. careful on that.
2: That's very, very insightful of you. Wow. You really do follow. Me. <laughs> and the reality is, and this is what I really want. I mean, to be in politics is brutal. It's, it's, no matter who does it, it is not an easy life. And our job here really should be to support them. However, we will craft the policy that we believe creates the greatest value for this country. And we share it with all of the political parties and those that embrace it. We will actively support it. It has nothing to do with personalities. And at the same time, when you do something that's pretty stupid, that actually puts a nail in it, we'll also call that out. And Russell, I think that's what you're referring to. When I will call that out, but not in a personal way, but change your policy. Oh, and by the way, we will help you and we'll help you understand that.
0: When you think about Canada's future, what do you believe is really possible?
2: Well, I really believe that Canada uh, can and should be an innovation nation. It is all about innovation. And when I say innovation, I'm not speaking specifically about the technology industry. I'm speaking about all of the industries, financial services, healthcare, transportation, logistics. We are a country that has this incredible... Geography and and resources, but we don't have the same population bases. We don't have the similar capital pools, but we do have exceptional talent. We have an exceptional place that people want to live, and you know we have an incredibly well-educated population that does know how to win, and. The faster we all recognize that and that you don't need the biggest capital and you don't need the biggest domestic market to win. Um, There's a lot of countries out there. um, You know, you pick on, you know, what Japan had done. You look at, you know, South Korea, you look at, you know, Finland, Sweden, a number of these very, very small countries that are just hitting above their weight because they have to because the alternative is not good and you know the 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 final thing i would just kind of say on this point is creating this prosperity though but without sustainability is a hollow victory so to me it is really about the combination of the two and it is not contrary. I do believe in sustainable prosperity. So not only are we living a life that we all want and, and having the services and the care and the health care that we all expect, but but leaving this place in Canada in a better state for our kids and our grandkids is incumbent upon all of us. You know, Canada, I am optimistic. I am here to stay. And, you know, my, I I will fight for my kids to have it easier than I did when I uh, was uh, spending time on my career.
1: So, John, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners? This is Primarily a B2B podcast. So you'll be talking to business leaders across Canada. And if you had one bit of advice for them, what would that be? It would be to be bold.
2: It's funny. When I set out to launch the biggest growth private equity firm in Canadian history, and, and again, having the great support of a pension fund like Cat, because I wouldn't have been able to do this without such a great partner, the number of times that I was told, whoa, dude, too big, too ambitious. And you know what? You're not going to be part of the journey. So just get out of the way. And I will find those individuals who believe in that journey. And and Russell Lamarino, you know, really, you know, given that I am now one of the old folks in the industry now. My job before, I always felt like I was the center iceman who, you know, needed to get the puck, skate down, and and shoot it past the goalie. I'm now the person behind the bench, and I just realized I am way better off and way better off for this country to be the coach and getting the young folks to believe that they could all skate up the ice and shoot the puck past the goalie. And don't let anyone tell you, you can't do something. I, a year ago had a very catastrophic accident and I was run over by a tractor trailer and told, first of all, told I was going to die. It didn't tell me they told my, my wife, I was going to die. And then they told me that I will never, ever walk again. And I'm not going to repeat what my first reaction was because it wasn't expletive. But if I listened to that, I would for sure never walk again. And I now likely will walk again. It's very difficult through a lot of rehab. But using that same principle, it's really about the mindset. And so if we can just spin it around and when folks are doing something and perhaps, you know, they're making lots of mistakes there, cheer them on. Maybe help them privately, but cheer them on and really convince them that you can do this. And if we do this broadly enough across Canada, no one is ever going to stop us. And that would be my message to whether you're the entrepreneur, whether you're the employees, whether you are in a not-for-profit, it's all the same. Inspirational. That's fantastic.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us, John.
1: Honesty, ethics and integrity are clearly some of John's key values as a leader.
0: He mentioned that people tend to think of environmental, social and governance factors as a goal that's entirely separate from the act of making money in business. But on the contrary, the two are fundamentally linked.
1: What goes around comes around. And this is especially true in the business world. John is someone who clearly has his overarching values top of mind at all times, and he wouldn't wanna make a move that compromises that.
0: The future of Canada lies in our unique ability to innovate and the incredible talent we have at our fingertips.
1: Ultimately, as John said, prosperity without sustainability is meaningless. We all need to do our part to make the world a better place for our children and grandchildren and after speaking with John we're already feeling more optimistic.
0: The story John shared with us about his accident really underscores everything he stands for in life and in business.
1: Be bold, stay focused and don't take no for an answer.
0: Thanks for joining us today on Contributors. We hope to see you again next time. Don't forget to subscribe,
1: rate and review Contributors on Apple Podcasts and then tune in for our next
2: episode on November the 17th.